Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. My guest this week is Susan Kane, who I'm sure you've heard of. She is the mega-selling author. When you look her up, it doesn't just say best-selling, it says mega-selling author of the book called Quiet. It was a New York Times bestseller. It sold all over the world. It started this whole quiet revolution around the power and value of introversion and introverted people. Her latest book is called Bittersweet. I am in the middle of reading it at the moment, and it is so enjoyable. So I talked to Susan here about the relationship between being introverted, which her first book explored, and her latest one about being someone who tends towards a melancholic disposition or, you know, if you're someone who experiences happiness but it's always wrapped in a little bit of sadness or you have a happy moment and then you're anxious that the moment is going to pass. I talked to her about both of these aspects of people's personalities and how they relate to anxiety as well as her experience as well. Susan is such a calming presence. Oh my God, her voice will just soothe you so much. So if nothing else, even just the experience of listening should help to then regulate your stress response. Thank you as always for listening, for all the feedback and reviews. Bittersweet is out now, widely available everywhere and I highly recommend it. Susan Kane, it's such an honor to have this time to talk with you today. Thank you for coming on to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. I was just reading some descriptions online of you and normally it's like bestseller, but no, for you, it's mega seller of (laughs) (laughs) the book Quiet and your new book, Bittersweet. Is there an element of anxiety that goes along with being like a global mega seller of something where everyone is hanging on your every word? For me, the biggest moment of anxiety is when I have to go through the transitional moment um, of from writing the book to actually talking about the book. Yeah. So, and I realize now it's very predictable because I went through identical experiences with quiet and with bittersweet, although with quiet, it was more intense because I was doing it for the first time. But in both cases, I spent years and years and years in a kind of splendid solitude writing the book. Um, And then there's this feeling of like, oh my God, I've got to come out um, and start talking about it. And I don't exactly know what I'm going to say. 
And um, I'll tell you that like the first week of interviews that I did for Bittersweet, I had by my side a little goblet of rum. And then suddenly it's like after the first week, oh, I don't need the rum anymore. Like I forgot all about that. Oh yeah. Well, I had to take Xanax before my first TV appearance. So I know what that feels like. And look, we got to do what we got to do to feel at ease. But it is scary. I mean, it's years of your life's worth of, of thoughts and work and sharing it. So we're like, that's the ultimate act of vulnerability, which can be very, I mean, empowering in one sense, but also very anxiety inducing in another. Yeah. And just making the change. And with a book, there's that cliche of it being like another baby, but it really is true, especially when you work as many years as I tend to on books, it, it is the ultimate long gestation, you know, so you want to be doing everything you can for your baby out in the world. But it is an amazing thing. I like I do think with anxiety in general, that so much of anxiety has to do with number one, the anticipation and number two with novelty. And yes. so once you've gotten through both of those hurdles, it's so much easier after that. Yeah, that's why this time around, because you've already done it, you've had the exposure therapy of knowing what's involved. That I hope for you now that bringing bittersweet into the world is like a much more enjoyable experience for you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, they really were both enjoyable. It's just that like with quiet, I had to, you know, get through this period before I could start enjoying it. But but they really both were. I love how you take these aspects of some people's personalities, whether it's introversion or someone who tends towards the bittersweet nature, which we'll get into. And I love that you just kind of dismantle our collective perceptions around them as being less than favorable. So much of what we read and so much of the self-help stuff out there, not that this is falling necessarily under self-help category, but a lot of it tries to help mold you towards this ideal, well-adjusted person who ticks the boxes of what we all have in our mind as being the best way to be. And Obviously, that would be a very boring world full of very, very similar people. But taking the parts of ourselves that maybe we don't think so kindly of and seeing the power or the value in them, that's game changing. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you so much. I guess that's the point of writing a book to like, hopefully to be saying something that you feel like others aren't saying that should be said, Um, like telling some kind of truth that isn't normally spoken out loud, something like that. Um, And I guess I would say with both Quiet that talked about introverts and now Bittersweet, which is talking about the more um, kind of like soulful and melancholic view of life or way of being in the world. I would say in both of those cases, maybe my, my certainty about the value of that way of being comes from the fact that I've been such a reader all my life. And, and I think most writers have a soulful, melancholic, quiet nature, and they end up conveying that nature into their books and into their protagonists. And so if you're a kid who grows up doing a lot of reading, you're growing up kind of immersed in a world in which that way of being is central and valid and even heroic. To me, one of the most surefire recipes for anxiety in someone is denying a part of themselves. Like, so for example, an introvert trying to become an extrovert. Did you for a long time try to be a different way? And did something shift from an anxiety perspective when you're like, do you know what? This is the way I am. And actually I'm going to lean into it. Yes. So with introversion, I I certainly did go through a period, especially when I was a lot younger of trying to be more extroverted or wondering what that would be like. I think I did try to be um, much more sort of resolutely, upbeatly happy. Um, And I I am happy, but but I'm happy in a 
a melancholic way, if, if that makes sense. So I guess in both cases, when I was younger, I think I really did try to be somebody different. And then even once I stopped trying that, there is the feeling of not always spending your time doing what you would actually prefer because you're just like unconsciously trying to conform to what social expectations would be. A lot of anxiety does get let go when you, uh, when you fully embrace your nature and it happens even just in the most mundane ways, you know, like the simple act of realizing that it's valid to love to stay home with a book on a rainy day, mm -hmm. you know, which is exactly what a bittersweet and quiet person would want to do. That's a really valid thing to do. And so I'm not going to feel an ounce of guilt or FOMO about not joining my friends for lunch. And instead, you know, staying home, like curled up on the sofa with a book, gazing out at the rain, you get to a place of, of real peace uh, when you're no longer wrestling with that. I think so. And I think it's probably a very often overlooked solution to a lot of the anxiety that we feel when we're trying to sort of shove ourselves into a mold that just does not fit us. And I think so often we get confused between anxiety and personality. And, and I had a chapter in, in my first book about that because that was really important for me around knowing when it's your anxiety holding you back from something or your personality and just denying your nature. Like I'm not the kind of person who wants to go out every night, like what you described there about being home with a book like that is my heaven. And if I keep pushing against that, then I create anxiety, I create tension by denying my needs and just compromising my values and what's important to me. I think that's so important. I agree with you. I, I think there's a real wisdom when you find yourself wishing to stay home or wishing to do activity A instead of activity B, um, to ask yourself whether you're making that decision out of fear and anxiety on the one hand, or just out of a simple preference to um, of, of how you want to spend your time. And when the answer is that it's out of fear or anxiety, even then I feel like some of the time we need to give ourselves a pass. Like yeah. some of the time when, when there's fear and anxiety, we should be pushing ourselves through it. Um, and hopefully to get desensitized to it on the other side. But some of the time, you know, we don't need to be engaged in that kind of a Herculean struggle. It's not like all the time we should be doing that. I agree. Do you think that the comfort zone gets a lot of bad press? I do think it gets bad press. I don't think that the the stretching and the desensitizing and all of that makes any sense in the absence of there being a comfort zone to come back to. And that the, really the, the best and most effective way of, of stretching and pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone is telling ourselves that once we're done with that, we get to come back to our own personal equilibrium. And that's where we truly belong. And and, and, and that the moments of the stretching are ones that we do in the service of like th that we should only be doing them in the service of some incredibly meaningful goal. We shouldn't just be doing it for the sake of taking on some discomfort that happens to conform to societal expectations. We should be doing it because it will help a career project or help someone we love or whatever it is. Where did you get the confidence or the self-assuredness to kind of say, do you know what? you can shove your societal expectations. I am a quiet person. I'm a bittersweet person. I don't know. I mean, I guess, as I said at the beginning, I, I, I think that having grown up on a diet of reading helped me so much. Like with a bittersweet tradition, I feel like that's something I've been connected to for such a long time um, through reading, but also through music. You know how I love Leonard Cohen and, my, and the, the whole book bittersweet is dedicated to him. And I have his, um, his epigraph at the beginning of, uh, that there's a crack in everything. That's where the light gets in. 
I think what's so brilliant about what those musicians and writers and so on are doing is they're basically telling us you're not the only person like this out there. Um, I'm here too. I'm, I'm expressing an experience that you also have had. And I'm also taking the further step of turning it into something beautiful, but you can't, you can't listen to that and read that without knowing that you're not alone. And, and I think, I think as humans, we need to know that we're not alone. And then we get confidence from that. Why do you think in society up until now and, and your wonderful work, why have we failed to see the value in introversion or someone who tends toward like a melancholic disposition or sadness? Well, we have become such a mercantile society, um, you know, organized in big business over the last century or two, that um, what has ended up happening is like we've become very preoccupied by who's a success and who is a failure. During the 19th century, especially, we started to ask the question of when somebody succeeds or fails at business, is it because of good or bad luck, or is it because of something inside themselves? And increasingly, we've answered the question by saying it's something interior to the person. And we've started kind of dividing people into these loose categories of winners and losers. Mm. And the more we look at our fellow humans and ourselves that way, the more we all develop a mortal fear of being seen as one of the losers. And if you don't want to be a quote, and I'm very much using that word in quotation marks, but you know, if you don't want to be seen that way, then of course you are going to shy away from any of the, the emotional affects of someone who would be a loser, you know, so you don't want to be, you don't want to think about loss and impermanence and, and melancholy or anything like that. If you're too quiet and contemplative, maybe you're not being enough of a, you know, a doer and a person of action who will have success. So we, we've basically organized our emotional lives to suit the needs of, of a mercantile culture. And the irony of that is, of course, even to do well in business requires, it, it requires the, the singular contributions of introverts. It requires the creativity that often comes from melancholy. So even taking it at face value, it's a mistake to be denying these aspects of human nature, but we do keep making that mistake. Okay, so let's talk about bittersweet. We've mentioned the word and the word melancholic a few times here, but how do you define a bittersweet nature or someone who would fall under that category? What questions can they ask to know if they are that person? Bittersweetness is about the, the kind of deep recognition that this is a world of, of joy and of sorrow, of light and of dark. Um, with this view comes a kind of deep and piercing joy at the beauty of everything, at the beauty of the world. And, um, and I have a bittersweet quiz that you can take. Did you take the quiz? I did. Oh, I was like, yes, I'm extremely bittersweet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked, shocked to hear that. <laughs> um, and, and so it's at the beginning of the book and it's on, the, on my website, which is susankane.net if you wanted to go just quickly take it there. But just to give you, um, to give listeners a, a couple of examples of the questions, it's questions like, do you draw comfort or inspiration from a rainy day? Do you react intensely to music, art, or nature? Have others called you an old soul? All the time. And uh, do you get goosebumps several times a day? I got goosebumps listening to the Little Mermaid soundtrack the other day. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's funny, you know, if, if for you, it sounds like, or maybe for some people listening, you might hear questions like this and be like, doesn't everybody feel all this? But I was doing an interview the other day uh, with a friend of mine 
who was asking the questions and she said she had just taken the bittersweet quiz and she literally scored zero on every single one of the questions. Wow. Yeah. And you know, I kind of love that because it was just a reminder of like that humanity comes in so many different varieties. You kind of can't believe it. For me, when I was reading the book, especially taking the quiz and everything, what it reminded me of in my own life was happiness anxiety, which might be like another approach to it where really happy, joyful moments for me are like wrapped or bookended in this deep ache of the moment passing. I just can't experience something good without feeling just really nostalgic and sad that it happened or is over, especially because I have a 21 month old son now. And as he gets older, I'm finding it more and more enjoyable. I found the baby face very, very tricky. And seeing the world through his eyes and everything is like, I mean, I, I am that mother who's like, oh my God. But then it's like this sadness. Like if I think about the fact, like my mind goes straight to the anxiety of, or sadness or fear that he won't remember this or that I'm not going to be the center of his world one day. And I get this fear that I'm going to lose it. Even though I'm experiencing it in the moment, I've lost it once the moment has passed. Is that bittersweetness? Yeah, it is bittersweetness. It's interesting that you say that because one of the other ways that I define it is an acute awareness of passing time, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what you've just expressed. Exactly. I will say that I have found that the more I've been immersed these past years of, of researching and writing the book, that the more, the more I've been immersed in the deep impermanence of everything, like the way you were just describing, the easier it's gotten to be to deal with it and to bear it because I don't know how to explain it exactly. It's just like such an awareness that A is always giving rise to B is always giving rise to C is always giving rise to D that, you know, it's just like a constant flow between enjoyable experiences and less enjoyable ones and um, beautiful ones and painful ones. And, and you kind of know there's always the next thing coming. Mm. So in the narrative you just gave, the narrative was, Um, my son is so wonderful now and mothering is so wonderful now, but it will become less wonderful later, but it's actually going to keep, it's just going to ebb and flow constantly. And so it's going to be wonderful in so many different ways, you know, as he gets older, I believe. And and my sons are older now, by the way, although I still haven't faced the true empty nest because my kids are 12 and 14 now. So you could say I'm still in the sweet spot years in a way. Sometimes it feels to me like the downside of like too much mindfulness means that you're too invested in the moment that you're so anxious that it's going to pass. I'm getting very deep here, but no, am I making all. sense? <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're completely making sense. My sense, and I write about this in the book, that when, when we experience those kinds of moments, um, the kind that are so amazing that they make us cry, it's kind of a sense of, oh, we lost the Garden of Eden, you know, and and this moment that I just experienced, that was Eden. I just had a glimpse of it for a moment. Um, But but the glimpse of it has also reminded me that I'm no longer there or I won't be there for good. I'm only there for this one moment. Um, And and so like, it's a kind of tear at the imperfection of the world. Like you were, because you just experienced a moment of perfection, you were also reminded um, of the world's fundamental imperfection. I don't mind it because I feel everything greatly, but like, it sounds like bittersweetness is something that you would want to like change, but you don't want to do that. No, not at all. Well, one of the things that we found in our own study, but it's also echoed in so many different ones is that, so people who tend to score high on that bittersweet quiz that I just 
uh, gave you that we were just talking about also score high on states known as absorption, which predicts creativity. And these people score high on states of awe and wonder and spirituality and transcendence. So these are precious ways of being. They're not always the easiest ways of being, but they're very precious ones. Mm -hmm. So I don't see it as something that we should be changing at all. I see it more as the world has various different kinds of powers on offer. And the kind of temperament that gives rise to bittersweetness is one type of power. The way our culture has looked at it, like I'm suddenly having an image of like, you know, if there were a lightsaber buried in the mud and and somebody walked past the lightsaber and was like, what's that stick? You know, and they kick the stick to the other side of the, of the field, having Mm -hmm. no idea of what its powers are. That's what I think we do with, with this way of being, but it actually is a lightsaber with all of its powers. In the research that you've done around people scoring highly on different things, was there any insight into like people being warriors? Absolutely. Yeah. And I should have said that. So there's a high correlation between bittersweetness and the trait that I'm sure you're familiar with of high sensitivity, mm-hmm. which comes from the psychologist, Elaine Aaron. So just for anyone who's listening, who's not familiar with it, it's the idea of being more reactive to everything, you know, all of life's intensities, the the good, the bad, the sunsets, the obnoxious noises, you, you, you react to all of it. And then there's also a moderate correlation with anxiety and depression. And, and to me, that makes sense because I think that when we're living the best of bittersweetness, we get all those different bounties that I was just talking about of creativity and wonder and so on. And I think that when we kind of move along, maybe too far along that spectrum um, of feeling everything too intensely, you know, that can tip us in the direction of, of a difficult anxiety or a depression. The distinction that I think we need to make and that mainstream psychology hasn't yet made is that there is such a difference, such a profound difference between a kind of happy and productive melancholy versus an actual depression, which is anything but, you know, which is a kind of despair and an emotional numbness. And, and, and perhaps those two states are different only in degree rather than in kind, but the difference in degree really matters. So we need to be talking about that. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. For someone who's liking the sound of what we're talking about and thinking, that sounds like me, what would you say that the bittersweet book offers them? Like, I think we're in such a world of like, here's solutions. And it's so nice to read something that's just like, let's just talk about how things are and the value of that rather than trying to change things. Oh gosh, God bless you. Yeah. Because I can't tell you how often people are like, well, well, where are the tips? You know, where are the bullet points? And there is some prescriptive stuff in there, but, but what I, what I hear most of all from people who have read the book is this great echo of what I also heard from people who had read quiet, which is um, permission to be themselves and um, feeling seen and feeling understood to people feeling anxious. Is that permission to be as they are? Absolutely. Permission to be as they are. Right. I mean, so much of our anxiety comes from feeling like we're supposed to be different from what we are. We should be acting differently, choosing differently, doing differently. I'll I'll give you another example of it. And, And this is from a story I tell in the book of my kids when they were just a little bit older than your son now. So we rented this house in the countryside for a family vacation once And the house was located next to this field uh, where there lived two donkeys named Lucky and Norman. Um, And my boys fell in love with the donkeys and they spent the whole vacation feeding them carrots and stuff. And then a day or two before it was time to go home, they suddenly realized they're never going to see these donkeys again. And yeah, and they're crying themselves to sleep. They're like utterly heartbroken they are heartbroken and and at first we told them the things that parents will say at a time like that you know like who knows maybe we'll come back or you know another family will come and they'll feed the donkeys too and none of this made any difference until we said to them you know what this is part of life this this saying of goodbye um You've said it before, it's going to happen again. Everybody feels it. It's painful for everybody. The pain will subside soon and you'll feel better. You'll be able to remember Lucky and Norman with smiles. But right now, this pain you're feeling, just know that this is normal. This is, this is part of life too. And that was the only thing that made them stop crying. And the reason, like to your point about anxiety, I think the reason that made them stop crying is because they no longer had to resist the feelings they were having as abnormal. Mm. Like they were no longer feeling like, oh, I'm not supposed to be feeling this way. Or, you know, goodbyes aren't supposed to happen. That's like a disruption of normal life. No, instead, goodbyes are part of normal life. So I don't have to feel ang- 
like it's bad enough to feel the pain of goodbye without feeling the anxiety that goodbye wasn't supposed to happen. Such a good story to describe that. Oh my God. And, and amazing to see how powerful it is, even at that age, for them to understand that, oh, it's okay how I feel. And that to kind of just quell a lot of what they were feeling was so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I want to ask you now about introversion, if I may. Bittersweet is the book of the moment, but I wouldn't be forgiven if I didn't ask you about <laughs> sure. this, given the success of Quiet. I think there tends to be an assumption around introversion and social anxiety. Can you just dispel that for me? What's the difference? Well, the difference is that social anxiety is about the fear of the the very intense fear of social judgment. It it comes especially in situations where you feel you might be evaluated. Like for some people, it's a job interview. For other people, it's a date. It's different for everyone. Could be public speaking and introversion really has nothing to do with anxiety. It's, it's just about the pure preference of how you wish to spend your time and choosing usually to spend it in ways that are less stimulating, by which I don't mean intellectually stimulating. I mean, just like fewer inputs coming at you. In practice, there is a kind of overlap between introversion and social anxiety. Many introverts also report being shy But then you have plenty of introverts who are not shy at all. And then you have shy and socially anxious people who are quite extroverted as soon as they're comfortable. So that's, that's really the difference. Would you say that an introvert, if they're not getting that chance to live according to their introvert values, that they're creating anxiety by putting themselves for too long in those situations where they're forced to be around people or whatever, whatever it is that their introversion would prefer them not to do too much of. Yeah. I mean, I would say they're uh they're creating a situation of just sort of like emotional burnout. Um, That's really what's coming first. And then once you're in that emotionally burned out state, you're vulnerable to everything, including anxiety, because you're, 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 you're just sort of, you're overstimulated. You're over, you're overwhelmed. You're overjangled. It's like, if you think of, um, let's say you've spent the whole day at at a museum, you're on a trip, uh, you've spent the whole day at a museum, you're tired, you're hungry, you've been walking around for a long time. So you're just kind of overwhelmed. That's a state in which you're more likely to be susceptible to anxiety for any number of reasons. But the, the reason is that you're overwhelmed. Okay. So an introvert might not necessarily struggle with anxiety, but if they keep pushing against their introversion, they create the perfect conditions for anxiety to rise up because you're just depleting your reserves. Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. Um, and then of course there are the shy introverts and that anxiety comes with shyness. I mean, it's part of the definition. How would you describe yourself? Um, so I'm definitely an introvert and I'm quite shy also. I mean, what I mean by that is I, I have a, I have a shy temperament. So over time, I have become much less shy in situations where once I would have been, mm-hmm. but I always feel like there's something about the temperament that doesn't really change, but you, um, you definitely desensitize and you gain skills along the way and all of that. Um, but I would say I really am fundamentally both shy and introverted. I think I'm introverted and not shy at all, but I'm definitely bittersweet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know the whole book is really about the value of introversion, but what to you is the big value of introversion that we're neglecting, especially in a professional capacity? You know, it, with introversion just comes, it, it's, it's like, it's a different way of interacting in the world. So you can't really have a team, let's say at work, that doesn't have a mix of introverts and extroverts because the extroverts are going to be the ones who are kind of like charging ahead with the new project. The introverts are going to be the one who tend to be like, 
oh, wait, let's think about this wrinkle. Let's think about that aspect. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be noticing subtleties, not because, not because they're more intelligent, but because that's where their minds tend to go. Um, they're, they're going to be the ones who are posing questions, whereas the extroverts are going to be the ones uh, tending to offer answers. You know, the, these are just tendencies that we all have that shape the way groups function. Um, so we know that the best performing groups really are a mix of introvert and extrovert because you need both of those elements in there. In an interview situation, for example, if somebody who's going for a job, like I feel like an extrovert will definitely be proud of that and think that that's kind of a badge of honor. Do you think that introverts are less likely to own that and actually put that forward as a valuable asset to a team? Yeah, because there is still this cultural bias, um, which I, I am happy to say is changing for sure. Over the last 10 years, how many books have come out about introversion? How many online articles? How many symposia? You know, it's it's like this amazing thing. And so there's so much more awareness now and so much more knowledge of what the value is. But I do think that introverts, yeah, at a job interview, for example, they're still like uh, not knowing how it's going to be received and needing, needing to think, needing to think more about how to package it very carefully, as opposed to, as you say, an extrovert will just be like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the one who goes into the meeting and takes charge and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of work to be done in terms of people's perception of other people who are introverts, not so much their own acceptance of themselves. Do you feel like there's still a bit to go in that regard? Oh yeah, absolutely. And of course these two things work together because the more there's um, a cultural bias, the more introverts will feel their own sense of self-doubt. Um, if the cultural bias went away, I'm not sure the self-doubt would really be there in the first place. Oh, I mean, I think the cultural biases have a lot to answer for with a lot of the anxieties that we feel. So much of it is is really what other people will think about us because that's just such a primal fear. It's so huge. It's so huge. I mean, what you could ask, I suppose, is if the cultural bias, you know, are magically wiped away tomorrow, you could still say that maybe introverts would tend more towards self-doubt than an extrovert would. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but that's an interesting question. What advice would you have for someone who is maybe struggling with anxiety due to these cultural biases, whether it's, oh, I'm, I'm a quiet person or I'm a shy person or I like that it's raining. What advice would you have for them when the anxiety is because of that? How do they turn down the volume on that? I'm a huge believer in the knowledge that we're in this together and that we're not alone. And um so what I could say is to turn in the direction of um, remembering that you are part of a gigantic and distinguished tribe. Um, and you can do that, as we were saying, you know, through books and through music, you can do that through finding tribes online, whatever it is for you to really tune into the fact of how many people there are like you who feel all these things, even if they don't go around and talk about it. Um, and many of them are some of the people who you you value most. I mean, I actually, I, I started the introduction to bittersweet by quoting Aristotle, you know, who 2000 years ago was wondering why it, it, why it was that, as he put it, that so many of the great poets, philosophers, and politicians had melancholic personalities. Um, and people have been wondering about this for centuries, even though it's not something we happen to be talking about so much at the current moment in time. Um, but, you know, if, if you are that person, you are a part of a long, it, it's not like just me saying it in a fanciful way. I, like I, I document it. Like people have been talking about this for 
for many, many centuries and across cultures as well. And I think because we're such social creatures, as you were saying, I think that's one of the best ways to quell anxiety. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Susan Kane, author of Quiet and your, your latest brilliant book, Bittersweet. Thank you so much for your time and for having such an interesting conversation with me. I've loved it. We've gone in directions that I didn't foresee going in. It's so lovely to chat to someone who I think is quite like-minded. And thank you for, I know I said at the beginning, thank you for celebrating the, the parts of ourselves that many people feel that they need to like work on. And I think getting to a point of just accepting those and actually leaning into them it's probably the most powerful place you can get to, especially when it comes to anxiety. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard from people that it's like this paradox that the more they accept themselves as introverts, the better they do at the outward facing tasks of this world. Like the better they do at job interviews, the better they do at speeches, because suddenly they're doing it on their own terms. They're showing up as their, their their full selves without anxiety of feeling like I'm supposed to be someone else. That's the magic key. Oh, amazing. I'm so glad that you've gotten that response. What a good endorsement of all the work you've done. Uh, well, thank you. And the, the work that you're doing too, my God, it's so fantastic. I'm so glad that you, you have this podcast out there. You're helping so many people. Thank you. And the book, it's already out, right? Yes. Yes. And it's widely available in all good bookstores and some crappy ones too, as we like to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful day. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access a full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.